A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode about the Nesivas Shalom of Slonim has been sponsored in honor of Rabbi Benjamin Ginsberg, who has translated all of the Rebbe's Sfarim into a very popular set, Gems of the Nesivas Shalom, and all different topics around the year, Yom Toivim, and uh, very important and useful uh, work for to make the, uh, the, uh, the, the works of the Nesivas Shalom available for the English-speaking and English-reading crowd. So, uh, I'm going to speak about the Nesivas Shalom, Reb Shalom Noach Berzovsky, the Slanim Rebbe, and uh, his impact, his influence in, uh, in a historical context. Um, and I'm going to divide it into two parts. I'm going to focus more on him, himself, uh, this first part one, and then part two, I'll speak a little bit more of a background on the Slanim Hasidic dynasty, of which he was the Rebbe. And, um, and then, uh, you know, it'll be like a nice, nice little combination there. So, and it'll come out right away, one after another. So you don't have to wait for part two for long. It will, it will all be done uh, right uh, right now in the coming days. And, uh, and we'll have this, you know, Nesiva Shalom bookend effect, the Nesiva Shalom and the Slanim dynasty. So before I get to the Nesiva Shalom, we just had uh, Davi Safir and I, am the one who, to, who I'm privileged to write together with um, in the Mishpacha magazine. We just had a very popular article about the Belzer Rebbe, Rabbi Belzer, and his later years, uh, after he escaped from Europe during the Holocaust, he was able to make it to the land of Israel, and his later years uh, here, um, I'm here, so I'm in Israel, so uh, so uh, here in his, uh, in his stories and history and everything about it, uh, which was very popular, got a lot of good feedback about it. Um, about uh, different aspects of Rabara Labelzer and his life and his influence. So we'd love to hear more from you about that if you enjoyed the article and if you have any comments to make. And if you're one of those rare people who did not read it yet, then I believe it's available on Mishpacha Magazine's uh, website. Um, and you definitely don't, don't want to miss uh, any, uh, any uh, issue in the future. Um, next week, I will be on tour. I hope I'm able to put out the episodes still regularly. I'll be on tour next week with a wonderful group from the Five Towns, including the legend himself, 
my partner in crime at Mishpacha Magazine, the one and only Davi Safir, who I just mentioned, which is a bit intimidating because now I'm not going to be able to make up things on tour uh, because he's going to be listening and he's a big expert. Uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll, maybe I won't even be able to do my guiding because we'll have to work on our next articles and columns in, in, on the, on the trip in the middle of Warsaw. We'll be working on the next for the record column for Mishpacha magazine. Um, but either way, maybe I'll just have him do the guiding himself. He's more than capable. Uh, lots of possibilities, and uh, it will definitely be a lot of fun. If your shul is one of the rare ones that has not organized a trip yet, so now is the time. Everyone's doing it, um, so be in touch with me. Of course, next week is is the first Noyam Elimelech uh, site. This year we have two, luckily, because there's two others. So Chafalaf Adar Aleph will be in Lezhensk in honor of the site. Very, very exciting. But getting back to the Nesivas Shalom, which is even more exciting and more interesting. Um, like I said, we're going to have two parts back to back. No need to wait. We're going to have one on the Nesiva Shalom's life and then more on the Slanim dynasty. But before we get to that, I want to say something, how the popularity of his Sfarim and how we see that in historical context, because it's quite rare for um, for you know such a modern-day Hasidic work to be so immensely popular. Now, when you talk to a yeshiva guy, he says, you tell him the Nesivas Shalom, he first he'll, he'll take a double take, he'll think you're talking about the Nesivas. Oh, the Nesivas! Uh, they're talking about a different Sefer entirely. The Nesivas HaMishpat of Rabbi Yaakov Leiberbaum, which is a Lamdish Sefer. Um, but I imagine that by now there are probably lots of those out there who use both Nesivases. The Nesivas of the Nesivas HaMishpat, the Lamdish Sefer, and also the Hasidic Sefer, the Nesivas Shalom, of Rabbi Shalom Noach Berzovsky. Uh, so that's, it's one of those rare classic works of Hasidus that's been written in the second half of the 20th century. Almost all of the other classics um, that, that are used, uh, in, that are considered classic, of course there's thousands and thousands of, of uh, um, Sfarim that have been produced by the Hasidic movement uh, throughout the centuries, but almost all the ones that are considered like you know part of the part of the Bible, uh, so to speak, were written in the 18th and 19th centuries, or from the early tzaddikim. Uh, there's a, a rare exceptions at the beginning of the 20th century. You had the Sfas Ms, you had Reb Tzaddik, and then you had in the 20s and 30s, and during the war, you had the Piyatzetzner Rebbe, the Chavis Atamin and Eish Kaidish. Possibly the only one that has achieved that status of being, you know, universal and widespread and popular, and everyone learns it, and it's, you know, influential in the Hasidic uh, bookshelf, might be the Nesiva Shalom. If there's other exceptions, I'd love to hear about it, but um, he's definitely up there, um, and it's one of those that it, his the use of his his farm is way beyond. Slunim, uh, f- followers of the Slunim dynasty, or even beyond the Hasid, the realms of the, the, the parameters of the, of the Hasidic world. Many non-Hasidim uh, proudly study Nesivas Shalom. And there are certain Hasidic Sfarim that are used by those outside the movement, like like I said before, Svasemis or Tzadik, to a lesser extent, also perhaps the Gdusha Slevi of the Berdichever or the Tanya, a few others. But Nesivas Shalom is one of them. So it's a unique sefer that has 
very widespread appeal. And then we get to the biggest novelty of the work, which is probably related to its widespread appeal, is that its use of modern Hebrew. Reb Shalom Noyach, the Slanim Rebbe, the Nasiv Shalom, the way he chose to write his Sefer was using modern Hebrew, not a very rabbinic or obscure Hebrew. It's very clear and very modern. The use, the words that he uses, and the language that he uses, the sentence structure, and the ideas how he expresses them, it's done in a very clear way and very modern way, and the, and the everything about it. So that's that's fascinating. In other words, he wanted it to have accessibility. He wanted it to be clear. He wanted to have clarity. And he was wanted to articulate his ideas so that anyone who opens the Sefer will be able to walk out with something and it wouldn't be difficult to use. Which brings me to what the, the sponsorship I just mentioned about making them accessible in English falls in line with what, exactly what he wanted. Because the way he, he wrote it in Hebrew obviously was meant to make it to, you know, as wide of an accessibility as possible. So that you know, adds to the popularity of the work. So, Rav Shalom Leich Berzovsky was born in 1911, passed away in the year 2000. So he had a nice long life. Um, in fact, he passed away shortly before Tisha B'Av. It was during the three weeks. And it was right when I moved to Israel and I was a child. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, not right after, like a year or two after, I don't remember exactly. And, but I do remember that I attended the Tish of, um, it was Shabbos Nachamu, the Shabbos after Tisha B'av, was the first Tish of, of his son, Reb Shmuel, the current Rebbe, and it was the, uh, it was the it was his first Tish, and I attended it. Uh, it, was, it was, I happened to be in the neighborhood for Shabbos, I was a little kid still, and uh, and I went, I went, everyone told me, oh yeah, it's the first the Tish of the new Slonim Rebbe, the Nesiv Shalom had just passed away, and uh, you know, so I went into the Tish. Of course, if you've ever been to a Slonim Tish and you heard the songs, so you'll know that, that, that it didn't sound like Shabbos Nachmu, it sounded like it was Shabbos Chazayin again. You know, the Slonimer songs uh, are slow and scary and dark, but uh, that's another topic. But either way, I was by the first Tish, so, so, um, so I remember when the uh, Slonimer Rebbe had passed away. So the, putting the Slonimer Rebbe in, in, in historical context will make it easier to understand who he was, and like I said, we'll save the earlier part of the Slanim dynasty for part two, because for now we're focusing on the Nesiv Shalom himself, so I'm going to skip to his Rebbe, the third Rebbe of Slanim. The third Rebbe of the Slanim dynasty was Rebbe Avram Weinberg. Now we know, one of the first questions you ask when you hear about the Nesiv Shalom is, how, how is his name Berezovsky? Everyone knows that the Slanim Rebbe's were always named Weinberg. So how is his name Berezovsky? So his, his Rebbe, uh, was named Rebavram Weinberg, and he was the second Rebavram Weinberg. The the not only is the name Weinberg popular in the Slanim dynasty, but the name Avram is as well. The Yisoyed Avoda, the first Slanim Rebbe, was a Weinberg, and the uh, third Rebbe as well, the Base Avram. Um, so he at this point, the Base Avram, he moves the Slanim dynasty to Baranovich. In Belarus today, then in, it was in Poland. This is after World War One, when his father had passed away, and he lives it to Branovich. He also opened the yeshiva, the Teiras Chesed Yeshiva, and there was of course another yeshiva in Branovich at the time, the Hel Yeshiva of Rabbi Chanan Wasserman. So as far as I know, it was the only 
city, besides for the big cities like Warsaw, but any only small city in the entire Europe that had a world-class Hasidic yeshiva, Tairas Chesed, alongside a world-class Lithuanian-style yeshiva. I mean, they're both Lithuanian-style, Litvish, non-Hasidish yeshiva, um, in the form of Altair Rebbechon of Asserman. And the two of them got along. In fact, don't tell your Litvak friends this, because they won't be friends with you anymore, but Rebbechon of Asserman used to occasionally go to the base of Rum and listen into his Shalashudas Shmuzen. Uh, they enjoyed it, and they had a very good personal relationship as well. And following the passing of Rabbi Rom Weinberg, the base of Rom, so he was succeeded by his son Rashdi, Rabbi Shleim David Yeshua Weinberg. So a nice long name, but they called him the Rashdi, and he was murdered by the Nazis along with all the other Slonim Hasidim outside of Baranovich, and the whole Hasidus is decimated during during the Holocaust. Um, so there was a, the Slanim essentially was wiped out, but there was a Slanim community in Tveria that had been there already earlier. The base of Ram himself visited uh, Palestine twice in 1929, 1933. And, um, and the Rav Shalom Leich who's the future Nesiv he grew up in Baranovich to a prominent Slanim family related to the Slanim Rebbe's. He studied in the Tyrus Chesed uh, Baranovich uh, Yeshiva, with the future Rebbe, with the Rashti, with Rav Shleim David Yeshua Weinberg. And he was very close with his father, the Rebbe, the base of Rom, Rebbe of Rom Weinberg. Um, so the, he's, he's close to the family. Now, he's not a Rebbe. He's not a, a son of a Rebbe yet at this point. He's not a son-in-law of a Rebbe yet. He's a prominent, from a prominent family, and they're somewhat related. I didn't get exactly how, some sort of cousin of the Slanimer Rebbe's, but that's about it. And he's a young budding Talmud Chacham. He receives his rabbinic ordination from none other than Rameir Karelitz, um, the brother of the Chazinish, who was a prominent rav. First, he was very close to the Chaim Weiser Grudzinski in, in Vilna, in, in the Vada Yeshivas. He was also a rav in, in, uh, uh, in, in Krinik. I forget which town. I have, have it somewhere um, in my head, somewhere there. Um, and... Uh, Either way, the, it's interesting that Slanim, since it was a Lit, Lithuanian type of a Hasidic dynasty, which we'll speak about more in part two, but they had a lot of overlap. You know, you hear that Slanim or Hasid is getting smicha for America relics. The Tairis Chesed Yeshiva, where he attended, which was a Hasidic Yeshiva, but the Rosh Yeshiva was Rav Ram Shmuel Hirshevitz, who was, of course, a grandson of Rav Lazer Gordon of Tells. The Mashgiach of the Tairis Chesed Yeshiva was a Slanim or Hasid, but he was a student of Reb Chaim Brisker. As it happens, Reb Chaim Brisker also had a son-in-law who was a Slanimer Chassid. Uh, so Reb Chaim Brisker's son-in-law, Reb Hirsch Glickson, was a Slanimer Chassid. So the, the, the connection, the overlap between the Lithuanian Torah world and the Slanim Hasidic world is very, very strong, very strong overlap. It has to do, obviously, with geography, the fact that Slanim and Baranovich is in that area. So the, the Reb Shalom Nayach is tasked with uh, writing the Shabbos Shmuzin from memory of the Beis Avram. Again, he was as this a as a prominent Chassid, not as not as the not as a future Rebbe. No one knew he was going to be Rebbe at this point. It happened uh, kind of by accident. We're going to get to that soon. So you know he get, the the Rebbe of the Beis Avram gives the delivers the Shmuzin on Shabbos, and he has to write them from memory. And later on, he would do the same thing for his father-in-law, who we'll get to soon, um, who later became the Slonim Rebbe. We'll get to that how that happened. 
But he was always writing. He was writing the Torah, he was writing the Shmuzin, so he was a writer. So again, the practice for his own writing, for his Nesiva Shalom, comes from a young age. Um, he later marries, his Shidduch comes from Tveria. I mentioned the Slanim Hasidic community in Tveria. There was a third Rebavram Weinberg. Uh, his, he was a descendant of the Yisait Avayda. He was a descendant of the, of the family, but he was a cousin of the, of the, of the Beis Avram. Um, so he was a cousin of the Rebbe, but he was a descendant from the original Yisait Avayda of the, of, the, of the dynasty. And he lived in Tveria. So um, Rabbi Shalom Nayach marries his daughter and moves to Tveria in 1935. So now he lives in the land of Israel, which is then Palestine. In 1940, he has to make a living. It's already a few years after his wedding. So he's, he's looking for a job, and he's a qualified Rosh Yeshiva. So he's hired as the Rosh Yeshiva of the Achei Tmimim Yeshiva in Tel Aviv, of Chabad Lubavitch. Achei Tmimim is kind of like Taimchei Tmimim, sometimes it was Achitim, sometimes it was Techitim. I never figured out when did they decide which. But either way, he becomes the Rashiva of the Achitimimim Labavit Yeshiva in Tel Aviv. Um, but once the news starts to trickle in of what happened during the Holocaust and the fact that the entire Slunim community back in Baranovich was wiped out, as well as the Hasidim in the whole area of Belarus, of Poland, which, what it was at that time, and the Rebbe himself, the Rashti, had been killed also. So he decided he needs to help rebuild. And he goes ahead and decides he's going to open a yeshiva. He's leaving Achei uh, Tamimim. He's leaving Tel Aviv. He's going to open a slanim yeshiva in Yerushalayim to help rebuild the Hasidus here in the land of Israel. So slowly the center of the Hasidus moves from Tveria and it shifts from Tveria where it had been at the t- until that time to Yerushalayim. And this idea that to invest in education to open a yeshiva, to become a Rosh Yeshiva, is emblematic of that time period of where in the Hasidic movement there is this movement towards opening yeshivas, to becoming Rosh Yeshiva, and to invest in education. I spoke about this at length when I discussed the crisis of the Hasidic movement in that episode, um, but it happened already pre-war. Essentially, Temchei Tamim itself was to, to address that need. Later on, of course, you had the Piyatzetzner Rebbe, we had the Dasmash Yeshiva in Warsaw, the Radomska Rebbe, Ger, and the Masifta, and other yeshivas in Poland before the war. And then after the war, uh, I just actually, Davi and I discussed in our article recently about the Belzer Rebbe, about how the yeshiva de Hasidei Belz on Agrippa Street in Yerushalayim was also built post-war, which is the same idea. So, um, so being an educator becomes the defining feature of his entire life, Rav Shalom Nayach. Again, he's not the Salonim Rebbe yet, he's not even the Nesiv Shalom yet, he's Rav Shalom Nayach, the Rosh Hashiva. And he be, he's an educator, and that's that's what defines him as a person, and that's how he saw himself for the rest of his life. And most of his life, he was a Rosh Hashiva. He delivered daily shiurim, uh, he educated, He he his writing the Nesiv Shalom takes place primarily as Rosh Hashiva. Um, he sits on the Vad HaYeshivas as a Rosh Hashiva, okay? He's not, he's not there as the Slanim Rebbe. He's there as a, one of the Vada Yeshivas is a group of Russia Yeshiva in Israel to, to take care of all kinds of army things and whatever. It's, it's, it's not important. And he's a member of that committee uh, as, as a Rosh Yeshiva of a prominent Yeshiva, the Slanim Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. He's also a member of the Mayatzis Gedele Hatayra of Agudas Yisrael, again, as a Rosh Yeshiva. He's not the Slanim Rebbe yet. Um, as one of the recognized Gedele Hadar, one of the Torah leaders, but um, but as the Rosh Hashiva of the Slanim Yeshiva. So it's a very interesting situation, because he's many years like that. How does, 
How does who who is the Rebbe at this time? There's a very interesting story. There is no Rebbe. The Rebbe was killed by the Nazis. So there was this small community in Tveria, which was all that was left of the whole Slanim Hasidus in Yerushalayim and Tel Aviv, but nothing left in Europe. And they appointed this temporary leader of the Slanim Hasidim, and his name was actually Slanim, interestingly enough, Reb Mordechai Chaim Slanim, which I'll get to in part two. And, and he passes away in 1954. So the Slanim Hasidim are leaderless. Who's going to become the Rebbe? So this is astounding. This is rare that it happened in the history of the Hasidic movement. There is at least one other instance that it happened. There could be more. I don't know. But there were democratic elections. Incredible story. Democratic elections. Four candidates. The other time this happened was when the Pinsk-Karlin dynasty was founded, when it broke off of Karlin. So the Pinsk-Karlin, uh, to appoint their first Rebbe, they... Uh, they, they they had they had as far as I know it was democratic election. That's a different story. We'll talk about Karlin another day. But uh, Slanim has elections. Four candidates. One was Rabbi Avram Weinberg, who I mentioned, who was the father-in-law of the Nasiv Shalom, and he's related to the family. He's got the name. He's Weinberg. There is two members of the Luria family, who was a very prominent Slanim Hasidic family from Tveria, and there are two different members of that Luria family who are also con- uh, candidates. And then, interesting story, you have the students of Rabbi Shalom Noyach Berezovsky, who are students of his in his yeshiva, they put forth his candidacy, even though he himself supported his father-in-law in the election. So he's campaigning for his father-in-law, but he himself is one of the candidates because his students in the yeshiva put forth his candidacy. So who wins the election? His father-in-law won the election, Rav Ram Weinberg, and he becomes the third of Rav Ram Weinberg to become the Slanim Rebbe, and essentially he's the fourth Slanim Rebbe, and, uh, and he becomes known as the Birkas Avram. It's interesting also that the ones who lost the election conceded the defeat. You'd think that they would have, you know, sent their followers to invade the Slanim based Medrash or something to uh, to fight the results, but that's not what happened. They conceded defeat, and the Birkas Avram became the Slanim Rebbe. Now, the Birkas Avram was a big leader in Agudis Yisrael. Even pre-war, he had visited Europe on several occasions, and he was close with the Beis Avram. He was close to the Chavetz Chaim, Reb Chaim Brisker. He was Rebbe for 27 years, but he was somewhat overshadowed during this time to an extent by his very charismatic son-in-law, Reb Shalom Leach Berezovsky, who was in an educational position as the Rosh Yeshiva of the Slanim Yeshiva in Me'eh Um Chov Slanim, actually. So it's a very interesting situation. You have this young, very charismatic, very tremendous Talmud uh, Chacham, um, who's the Rosh Yeshiva, and he's very, you know, very popular. And then his father-in-law, who's the elder sage, is the Slanim Rebbe. Now, it's also interesting that he didn't marry into the Rebbe family. His father-in-law became the Rebbe after he had already been married to his daughter for quite a f- some time. So it's it's a, a fascinating situation, which is quite rare in the annals of the Hasidic movement. And uh, like I said, he's already w- recognized as a leader on the Mayetzis, on the board of the Vari Yeshiva, he's also on the board of Chidach I forgot to mention, he's writing uh, the Torah of his father-in-law, he's getting speeches, um, and, he, and, he's, and he's close with his students at the Yeshiva. In fact, he taught the students at the Slanim Yeshiva the songs from the old Slanim uh, in Baranovich, he taught them the songs of his youth to connect them, to be that bridge to the pre-war uh, uh, Baranovich Slonim, which was no, no longer existed. So he also went ahead and invested in a huge writing project to also uh, write the Torah from the previous Slonim Rebbes, from the 
the Yisrael Avoida from the uh, uh, the second one, the the Divrei uh, Shmuel, I believe his, his name was, and even from earlier, from the Kabrin Hasidic dynasty in Lechavich, which Slonim comes from, uh, he wrote their Torah down also, Rabat Lechavich. And in, even more interesting, what you know, what I like to to note uh, because I like the history is that he went and researched the history of the Slonim Hasidic dynasty, and he wrote it down. And in the introduction to one of the the uh, the Sfarim of of Slanim that he wrote that he put together from one of the earlier rebbes, he has a in- long introduction that he writes down the history of the movement. Uh, so it's fascinating. So he dabbles in in a little bit of the historical side as well. So. In 1981, a month before his father-in-law passed away, he was getting quite old, a month before his father-in-law passes away, he is appointed Rebbe, which is also another, again, everything's unique and so interesting about him and his life. His father-in-law had not yet uh, died, and uh, and his, his father-in-law, the Birkus of Rome, supported that his son-in-law should be appointed the, the Rebbe in his own lifetime. Uh, in general, a father-in-law to son-in-law is not at all common in the Hasidic dynastical tradition of succession. But uh, his father-in-law wrote a letter supporting the transfer, and he wanted to cement it. He wanted to make sure that there wouldn't be opposition to it. Of course, it didn't work. There are others who were not so happy. So there was a breakaway from uh, Slonim at that point in B'nai Brak. Um, in, in the, 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 there's now two Slonims. They called it the Weisse and the Schwarze. The white and the black, um, and the 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 Rebbe of the Bnei Brak faction is, lo and behold, Rebbe Avram Weinberg. The f- another uh, fourth time that the name Rebbe Avram Weinberg appears in the history of the Slanim Hasidic Zion- dynasty. The Slanim in Bnei Brak, the, what's known as the Schwarze, the black Slanim, is spells it Samach Lamed Aleph Nun Yud Mem, whereas the one in Yerushalayim spells it Samach Lamed Vav. So that's the distinction. The one in Bnei Brak is considered either more religious or more extreme, however you want to phrase it. Um, and the, and I mean, that's a matter of, I guess, a matter of debate. This is all for now in part one. I'm going to continue. I didn't even finish discussing uh, the Nesiva Shalom's life. I'm going to continue with that in part two. So stay tuned, and it will come out shortly. This is Yehuda Geber of Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at Yehuda Geber. Dot com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. And I hope you enjoyed.